please do join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to the Old Testament book of Numbers. As we look to God's Word, let's look also to Him in prayer now. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, may Your Word before us be our rule. May Your Holy Spirit in us and among us be our teacher. And may your greater glory be our supreme concern through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Here at Grace and Peace, we've, always, we've heard a number of times the expression, the already and the not yet. Um, and the already and the not yet explains and I believe helps us understand a few things. First of all, it helps us understand history. God's people, at one time they were out of Egypt, but they weren't yet in the promised land. It was a time of wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. It can also help us understand things theologically. Uh, it, it's a good way to understand the Christian life between the first and the second advents of Jesus Christ, between his arrival on the scene and his return back on the last day. Last Sunday, uh, we saw when we looked at Hebrews chapter 3 that there was a day or the day of testing in the wilderness. The day of testing in the wilderness. And the author used that historical example and as, as Psalm 95 reflected upon that to, to uh, encourage God's people to see to it that none of us had a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage or exhort one another so that none of us would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So last week we saw that there was a day of testing in the wilderness, but today we will see that in the wilderness there's also a, a day of blessing. The wilderness, where we live now, it's, a, it's both testing, there are trials, there are temptations, there are difficulties, but... There's also blessing, there's peace, there's joy. And when you can hold on to the reality that there is both testing and blessing, it helps us not only understand where we're at, but it helps us continue to plod our way to the promised land. Now, Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26 uh, are known as the priestly or Aaron's blessing, the Aaronaic blessing. It's the most common benediction, uh, the most well-known benediction. And historically, worship services have ended with a benediction. Uh, it's good reason. There's a good biblical reason. Now, it's common, but it's commonly misunderstood that, that a, a benediction is somehow this final go get them, this final go do this, go do that. No, it's not a command, it's, it's a statement, it's a pronouncement, it's a declaration of reality. A benediction itself comes from Latin, well speaking, speaking a blessing. It reminds us that just as God calls us in, think the call to worship, God also sends us out with a blessing to be a blessing. Now, as we Spend some time now looking at this, this benediction. Is it appropriate for the church 
for the people of God today. Now, we're looking at numbers. Is this appropriate for the church today? Uh, But more than that, are these words relevant, applicable for your life, for my life, right here, right now, today? Will they mean anything? Will these words that we're going to pay attention to, will they mean anything tomorrow morning when the alarm clock wakes us up and it's still dark outside? For the next few minutes, we're going to unwrap the context and we're going to unpack the content of the passage. In other words, we're going to take a look at what's on the outside as well as what's on the inside. And then we're going to see how the first advent of Jesus Christ, the already of Jesus Christ, transforms our understanding of what is written. Join with me now as I read Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Let's take a look at the context of the blessing, the outside, so to speak. First, uh, let's think the Old Covenant context, specifically the historical context. It's book number four of the Pentateuch. What's in a name? What's the name of the book? Uh, Numbers. Uh, You you give people a Bible and say, start reading. Uh, They they die in Numbers sometimes. Uh, Actually, maybe before in Leviticus. But you know, Numbers is an English translation of the Greek translation, but it's not the Hebrew. You know what the Hebrew called this particular book of the Bible in the Hebrew Bible? Normally in the rest of the Pentateuch, it's the first word. They chose the fifth word, and the fifth word is in the wilderness. That's the name. If you're a Jew and you go to this book, the book is in the wilderness. How appropriate is that? Let's look at historical Verses 22 and 23, 40 years between Egypt and Canaan. They're already out of slavery. They're not yet in the promised land. In particular, in this section of Numbers is the time of preparation for the journey from Mount Sinai. And here you see the Lord, God's covenant name, Yahweh, the I Am. It's the name that's regarded as sacred. It's not spoken. And Yahweh, the Lord, instructs Moses, notice, to instruct Aaron and his son, that is the priest, to represent the people before them. Now, interestingly, this blessing is not placed in the Sinai legislation at the time of the dedication of the temple or the institution of the priesthood. You can look back at Leviticus 9 but rather in the narrative of Israel's preparation to enter the promised land. The wilderness, a time, as we've said, of testing, but it's also a time of transition. Here, the people of God must exercise faith, trusting daily in God's provision and his protection. The cloud, the pillar of fire, went with God's people. God provided daily for their needs. 
So the historical context is the wilderness, but you know what? It's the contemporary context as well, is it not? It's where we are. We're in the wilderness. We're preparing to enter the promised land. It sounds like, Jessica, your, your grandmother is a little bit closer than us now. Getting ready to enter the promised land. It's a time of struggle, struggle with sin. It's the temptation to return to bondage. Look at the book of Galatians. What were people tempted to do? To return to slavery. Return to the old covenant. What about Hebrews? Going back. It's always a temptation. But as the Cornelius brothers and sister Rose sang, it's too late to turn back now. They're in the wilderness. They've got to keep pressing forward. But before we look at the theological context, and you'll see in your outline, that's verse 27, uh, let's go first to the blessing itself, the content, and make a few comments as the content will help us better understand the theological context in a moment. So let's look at the content of the blessing, verses 24 through 26, the inside. It's poetry. It's a spoken blessing. It's a description of the Lord's character through imagery. His face. He, he turns. And there's parallelism that advances the thought. And there's repetition that asks the reader, ask us to slow down and reflect. And each verse has two clauses with um, Yahweh or the Lord being both the explicit and the implicit Subject. Look at this. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. And the blessing captures the Lord's movement toward his people and his activity on their behalf. The Lord is for his people. There are six blessings, as we will see, that are grouped in pairs that lengthen, that make the blessing stronger and more emphatic as it drives toward a complex, uh, a, a, um, a climax, And you can't really see this in the English, but most certainly you'll see it in the Hebrew because the first verse is three words, then five words, then seven words. It's getting bigger as it moves toward the conclusion, the climax. Let's look at verse 24, a general blessing. Three words in the original. The Lord bless you and keep you. Bless you. Now that expression sums up the covenant benefits that God shows to his people. Remember from the beginning, God's intention was to bless mankind. Genesis 1.28, God created man and what? And God blessed them. But then we know there's the fall into sin. But when Abraham is raised up and we read in Genesis 12, verse 2, and I will make you a great nation and I will what? bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God's intention from the beginning to bless his people even after the fall. Along comes Abraham. Not only bless you, but keep you, guard you, protect you, defend you. There's purpose. God's purpose is to keep his people Israel in a covenant relationship. He will over and over and over again do things and say things to let his people know they are his, 
to guard them, to protect them, to defend them, to keep them. Let's move on to verse 25. There's an invocation of God's favor and presence. And again, moving on from three words to five words. The Lord make his face shine. It's a vivid picture, as it were, of God looking favorably upon his people. To deal kindly with his people. It's his presence. That, as Rob highlighted, God takes pleasure in his people. And he saves them over and over again. You know what it's like when you receive the smile of your parent, the smile of your friend. You know, a picture is worth a thousand words, a smile, a favorable look is worth so much. Make his face shine. Tell Psalm 67 starts. Lord be gracious to us and make his face shine. Be gracious. The outcome of God's pleasure is his grace, his covenant mercy. In salvation, God's grace is his unmerited favor. It's not deserved in any way. Years ago when I told a good friend, the name of this church that was being established in northern Kentucky. He said, grace and peace. Oh, no. I said, why? Oh, no. He said, well, anytime a church is named grace down the road, they lose sight of it. May that not be the case here. May the very name of this church keep it up front and central to what Paul did in his letters. It's what we are called to do in how we live and serve and minister. There's an invocation of God's favor and presence in verse, five, in verse uh, 25. And then moving on to 26, it's the climax. The climax has seven words. Lift up his countenance. Again, lifting up his face or the expression of one's face. It's even more emphatic. Not only is there a smile, not only is there a gracious look, but you are being noticed. You are being paid attention to. You are being shown favor, lift up his countenance and give you peace, shalom, completeness, well-being. Literally, peace is completion. And it's the sum of all the blessings that God bestows on his people. And it's not just the absence of hostility, the absence of conflict alone, but it's rather the positive state of righteousness, of well-being. It's not just the house being remodeled by all the bad stuff taken out, but good stuff being brought in. It started off, bless you, and it ends with peace. Now, let's jump back out to the context, the theological context, part two, as it were, verse 27. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. My name. Here we see that pronouncing a blessing is putting God's name on them. It's a sign of ownership. It's, a, it's Israel's restoration from captivity as we would see later in Isaiah 44, 5. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. That they're the Lord's. 
We see that at the end of the Bible in Revelation 22. They they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. God's name is on his people and it's done through this blessing. And notice this divine and human aspect. Verse 23, you shall bless the people of Israel. But then jump down to verse 27, and I will bless them. The blessing itself emphasizes that it is the Lord alone who blesses. Notice, I will bless them. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make. It's, you're going to bless them, but the Lord is saying, uh, it's really me. I'm going to bless my people. But isn't it remarkable to consider that the Lord has chosen Men to be involved in the task of pronouncing his blessing. In other words, God has determined for his purposes that there should be a mediator for his blessing. It's not going to be direct. It's going to be mediated. And notice that this blessing is conditional. The blessing of the Lord as found here in Aaron's blessing is contingent upon the priest putting the name of the Lord upon the Israelites. The Lord's blessing, you see, is dependent upon the priest acting in accordance with the instructions that the Lord gave Moses. Here are the instructions. Follow them. And if you follow them, the people will be blessed. And yet, as Scripture unfolds, we see that there's an unexpected twist. It's not a straight line. It's an unexpected twist in the ongoing development of and reflection upon this promise of the Lord to bless his people. Because as the Old Testament draws to a close, it appears that Aaron's blessing, so confidently recorded here in Numbers, is no longer a valid hope for Israel. How did that happen? Well, in writing to the post-exilic community living in the promised land, the prophet Malachi, as we heard earlier, has a specific message for the priest of God in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. You see, the Lord, through his spokesman Malachi, rebukes the priest. And and verse 2 captures the heart of the rebuke, if you remember what was read earlier. If you, priest, will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will, and hear this, curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Wow. This blessing has been cursed With what we just heard from Malachi, the language of blessing has been inverted, desecrated, negated. The prophecy of Malachi brings the Old Testament to a close, and it would appear that it would also bring this blessing to a close as well. Why? Due to the utter and complete failure of the priestly mediator. At this time of blessing, turned into curse, the question had to be asked, is there a faithful priest in all of Israel who can pronounce the blessing of the Lord? 
Is there one faithful priest in all of Israel, among all of God's people, who can pronounce the blessing of the Lord? With this, the Old Testament ends and a period of 400 years of silence begins. You see, the, question, the Old Testament brings up all these questions and the New Testament, as you know, provides the answer because now let's take a look at the Christ of the blessing. As foretold by Isaiah, if you think about the servant songs of the Messiah and elsewhere in his book, the silence is broken. The silence is broken, as Luke would say in his first two chapters, with the songs of the incarnation. You see, with the coming of Christ, the separation between the source of blessing, that is the Lord, and the instrument of blessing, that is the priest, is removed. How is the separation between the Lord and the blessing, between the source and the instrument, how is that gap, how is that separation overcome? I think we would all know the answer, right? It's overcome because Christ is both fully God and fully man. You see, Christ as the priest is the mediator. Last week we were in Hebrews, but if you spend time in Hebrews, you'll notice that the author describes Jesus as the merciful and faithful high priest, the great high priest, the priest greater than Aaron, the priest who had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. The supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. Christ as priest is the mediator. Uh, Paul writes Timothy and says it really clearly. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And as the priest, Christ pronounces a blessing. Did you hear what we read from Luke 24 as, as the gospel according to Luke ended? Jesus' last act before returning to heaven was what? To bless. We read this. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. There's a lot of detail, right? He lifted up his hands, he blessed them, and while he blessed them. So what did Jesus do with his disciples right before he went to heaven? He blessed them. You see, Christ is not just the mediator. Christ, the priest, is the blessing of peace. And, and just as the Aaron's benediction in both structure and content moves toward this climax of peace, so also the priestly work of Christ climaxes with peace. Uh, consider just for a moment these references in the life of Christ. Remember the announcement that was made at the time of his birth? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace to men on whom his favor rests. And what about the time between his crucifixion and his, excuse me, what about the time toward his crucifixion? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, we read in John 14. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. 
And how about the time between his resurrection and ascension? Jesus pronounces peace. Peace be with you. Three times we read in John 20. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. It's not a broken record. It's an important aspect to the ministry of Jesus. And of course, the name of this church, Grace and Peace, Ephesians 2, we read of Christ making and preaching peace, being peace, because he himself is our peace, written right beside where Andrew is standing now. He himself is our peace. Jesus Christ becomes the blessing of peace by becoming the sacrifice for peace. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, that man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And indeed, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for unlike the people of Israel, when he was in the wilderness, he obeyed. Paul says it clearly when he writes to the church in Rome. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So Christ is both priest and blessing. As priest, he gives his own life as the sacrifice for sin, and as the blessing himself, Jesus brings two gifts of peace, peace with God and the peace of God. This is good news. You see, there is blessing in the wilderness for them and for us in the already and the not yet. Again, this is where we live today. We're all renters, you know? None of us own, as it were, our own property. We're all renting. We're moving forward. Uh, it's, it, we're all in tents. We're moving. It's a time of transition and testing. We're preparing to enter the promised land. It's a time of struggle, temptation, loss of hope, despair. All is not yet made right, and yet God has come and he is with us. He is Emmanuel, He's with us now by his Holy Spirit. Today, in the wilderness, we walk by faith and not by sight. Yet one day, one glorious day ahead, our wilderness wanderings will end and we will cross the Jordan. We will no longer be standing on the banks. We'll be through the river and into the promised land. And there, we will walk by sight and we will see our Creator and our Redeemer, our Lord and Savior face to face. Did you hear it again? The blessings climax is peace. Have you received this blessing? Do you know the peace of God personally? You see, there's both peace with God. The hostility is over. But there's also the peace of God. There's wholeness and completeness and well-being. So as you take a look at your life right now, is the hostility over? 
Is the hostility over or are you still in one way or another at war with God? I think it's important to note that you can be at war with God through both your disobedience and your obedience. You can be at war with God through your law breaking or your law keeping. Now, how can I say that? Because God sees the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord sees the heart. He knows what's done in secret. He knows when we are deceptive and deceitful in our words and actions. He knows. We've got to do business with the Lord. He knows. Praise God for sending his own son as both priest and blessing. I mean, isn't it great that our Savior is not one-dimensional? He's both priest and blessing. Jesus Christ gave himself completely, his obedient life and his sacrificial atoning death. Why? For you. In your place and on your behalf. So is this blessing from number six, is it appropriate for a church to use today? Absolutely. Most definitely. So the next time you hear numbers six, 24 through 26, and I'm confident that you will hear it soon as a benediction. Consider this in Christ. And as we will probably sing next week in Christ alone, the Lord blesses you and keeps you in Christ and in Christ alone, the Lord makes his face to shine upon you and is gracious to you. In Christ alone, the Lord lifts up his countenance upon you and gives you peace. You see, in Christ, what happens? The Lord puts his name upon his people. He puts his name upon you and me and says, you are mine because you believe in and you trust my son. For those of you who have received Christ and are presently resting on him alone for salvation, there is indeed great blessing in the wilderness. No matter what earthly struggles you are currently facing or will face in the coming days. You see, there is great blessing because you are at peace with God and you have the peace of God. There is blessing, my friends, in the wilderness, in the time between the already and the not yet of the Christian life. We're going to end with John Newton's words, not from Amazing Grace, but in a letter that he wrote. This is John Newton. He understood what it was like to be in the wilderness. I am not what I ought to be. Ah, How imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be. I abhor what is evil and I would cleave to what is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon, soon I shall put off mortality and with mortality all sin and imperfection. And hear this. Yet though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan, and can heartily join with the apostle and acknowledge, by the grace of God, I am what I am.
we can say that in the wilderness. What are you struggling with right now? Where does sin have its upper hand in your life? Where are you ready to give up, to go back, to throw in the towel, to strike out against your brother or sister in Christ? Look to Jesus. You have his blessing in faith. And so what's our response to being blessed in and by the grace of God? That is, as Titus reminds us that the the grace of God has appeared because Jesus has appeared. That is, what's our response to being blessed in and by Jesus Christ? Well, as we heard from Luke, it is worship with great joy. You know, yes, we're headed to a worship service that's going to be glorious and never ends. But my friends, right here, right now on the Lord's Day and on Monday and Thursday, we worship. And we worship with great joy. Our life is a response of glorifying and enjoying God. A life of worship is a life for which we were created. May that life be yours today, in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this blessing, and we see that it had to be Jesus. It had to be the perfect man. It had to be the one mediator. It had to be the one who was fully divine and fully human so that this blessing could actually reach us and change us from the inside out. Oh, Father, help us today and all our days to rest in your blessing, to rest in Jesus, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. God's great blessing in the wilderness.